for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Well, last week, Richard Burgess spoke about how we can encounter Jesus in our doubts. And uh, now, we're, I'm going to, today, I'm going to be speaking on how we encounter Jesus when I failed, because some of you look like you've never failed. Um, but most probably you have, if you're human. I don't know about you, but I've, I've failed. And we need to know how, how to get through failure with Jesus, because really you will fail at some point. We don't believe in sinless perfection in this church. That means it's that we believe, not that you have to sin, um, have to sin again, but at some point you'll fail. And... In those moments, you need to know that Jesus is the saviour. He came to save sinners. He's a friend of sinners. You know, one of the things I I love about the Bible that convinced me of the Bible's authenticity, that it is indeed the word of God, is it doesn't sanitise the characters. Have you noticed that? Involved. It doesn't sort of airbrush out the um, embarrassing bits. But warts and all, it shows you how... God's people of old were um, the good bits and the bad bits. And you should be encouraged by that because that does, it's another indicator of the authenticity that this is God's word. Abraham, he lied. God's chosen one. He lied through his teeth at one point when he went down to Egypt. And uh, that's a long story, but he lied before Pharaoh about his, his wife being his sister. Jacob was a right schemer. It was said of Jacob, if if he swallowed a six-inch nail, he was so twisted, he'd spit up a corkscrew. (laughs) But God worked in him and through him, and he changed his name to Israel. Then there's David, the man after God's own heart, committed adultery. It, It wasn't airbrushed out. John the Baptist, the greatest of the prophets, John the Baptist is depicted here having moments of doubt, is either one, or should we look for another? They're human beings like you and I. Simon Peter is denial of Jesus. You know, it's a, a collection of real historical books about real fallible people like you and me learning to live their life, discovering the infallible love and the grace of God. God's love is infallible to fallible people. No matter how weak and frail our faith seems, God is enough. There's more followers identify themselves with the disciple Simon Peter than all the rest. Isn't that true for most of us? Yeah, I'm I'm like Simon Peter. You could be quite really humble and say, no, I'm the one that Jesus loved the most. <laughs> you know the Gospels. <laughs> why, why is it we identify with Peter? Well, in his broken humanity, at his feet of clay, he was there for all to see. What you saw is what you got with Peter. His boldness at being willing to speak out when others would remain silent. His daring do, jumping out the boat first. His passion for Jesus... And his fallibility. And Jesus said to Peter, Simon Peter, Peter, now I say to you, 
you will be called Peter, which means rock, because he was called Simon, Simon Peter, yeah? And upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. It gives me hope. It really does. That if Jesus can pick up this guy and say, with you, I will build my church. And the gates of hell won't be able to withstand it. That's beautiful. That's strong. And it doesn't rule any of us out to be built into God's purposes. It gives us hope. If Jesus can build his church with this guy and all his failure, there's hope for us. So this is a good news message today. So we might get straight to the warts and all account of, Jesus, of Peter's failure that we all know there was a, a failure. I'm, I'm reminded by it recently. Our neighbours um, bought six chickens and in it, by mistake, he had a cockerel. And this cockerel, it, it, it does what cockerels do. It cock-a-doogle-doos and we wish it wouldn't. And even now I've talked to my neighbour about buying him a bottle of red wine for cocker van and all things like that. Um, he, he got the message in the end, is it dear friend? And he, I drove into the drive the other day and he said, to her, isn't it peaceful and quiet? <laughs> I said, yes, it is. What have you done with it? He says, it's in a box. I said, look, I've given it to me. I want to make a van out of it. But no, it's uh, too precious. But um, then I'll make a noise. Cockerels do, don't they? Anyway, let's have a look. Luke twenty-two, fifty-four. Luke is one of the gospel writers. He was a doctor by profession. And he was asked to make a really accurate account by a man called Theophilus and, uh, about what he saw. All the, all the parts of the story of Jesus and the Gospels, it was all collated by a man called Luke. And we're going to look at Luke. And we're going to look at that in um, 22, verse 54. So this is the night Jesus was betrayed. Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. This is in Jerusalem. Peter followed at a distance. Just note that, will you? Peter followed at a distance. It was now dark, not too close, but sufficiently interested. And when some some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked at him closely and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. He could still see what was happening. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will have disowned me three times. And it says, and Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Why did he fail so conclusively after such warnings? Well, he's human. 
and humans fail. Winston Churchill said this, success consists of going from failure to failure without a lot of enthusiasm. <laughs> I like that, not you. But there was a, there was a lesson to be learned with, with Simon Peter, and what a lesson, and it's this, don't trust in your own human strength of character to avoid temptation. That's a big lesson. Yeah, I can do it. No, we can't. We're vulnerable. The elections at the moment, all the politicians are conveying how strong they are. Are you man enough? Yes, I'm man enough. I'm strong enough to be your leader. That's totally different to how God wants us to be. God would say, are you weak enough? If God wants to use a man, he has to bruise a man. Don't trust a man who's not been bruised by God. Leaders have got to learn to walk with a limp because God has been dealing with them. A.W. Tozer, some of you may have heard of him, he said this, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man till he has hurt him deeply. Now that might sound very harsh, but those will, some of you will know what that means. Sometimes God has to allow, it to, allow you into situations so your heart is tenderized, so you no, no longer lean on your own understanding, your own ability. Oh God, oh God, yeah, oh God. Now you're ready. Now you're ready. With Jacob, you see it with all the greats. And sometimes we, we think we're ready and we're not ready because God's got to tenderize us a little bit more. It's this phrase in Matthew 26, 58 that's gripped me that Peter followed at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. Jesus wants us to follow him closely. But in that moment of weakness, that moment of failure, he followed at a distance. You have to keep close. When I first started racing cycling in the peloton, in these road races, um, I was really nervous. Um, It was a lot faster than I thought it would be. And this guy was mentoring me. And at uh, the start of the race, I said, what do I do? What do I do? He said, when you get to a hill, go to the front of the bunch. I said, why? He says, trust me, go to the front of the bunch at the, at the bottom of the hill. So when I saw a hill coming up, I'd sprint through the peloton and the, we'd all start climbing. And bit by bit, I got all the others overtook me, got to the top, and I was last. But I was still in the bunch. I still had that wind protection. Had I not been wise to the dangers, I would have been dropped and left behind. The danger of following at a distance. In the Old Testament, as God's ancient people were, were, moved, um, were led out of the wilderness by Moses uh, in, in towards the promised land, it says in Deuteronomy 25, when they're just recounting this, verse, uh, verse 17 to 19, 
Remember when, what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. There was hundreds of thousands of people moving in God's purposes. And they met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. Oh, they had no fear of God. When the Lord, your God, gives you rest from all your enemies around you in the land, he's giving you to you a possess an inheritance. You shall not blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. Don't. It's so easy in, as a Christian in, in church life, isn't it, to, to become a straggler. It's so easy. And I'm not saying there's Amalekites hanging around, but we do have an enemy. And as Peter became vulnerable, he became vulnerable because he followed at a distance. Church, these are not days for following at a distance. They, they really aren't. They really, really aren't. Well, I'll just turn up on a Sunday morning. It doesn't matter what, turn up, what time I turn up. It's 20 to 10. Yeah, that's fine. No, we all have mornings like that. But if that becomes your attitude to follow at a distance... There's something wrong. There's something wrong. Get it right. Look at your heart. Why, why am I being so sloppy and doppy in, in my disciplines with God? In my disciplines of meeting up. Don't fail to meet together. Don't, please, church, don't, because if, if, you, if you follow at a distance and you just turn up, it says something. If, it, if that's your default thing, you wouldn't, uh, am I, yeah, I'm trying to communicate my heart to you. These are big days to be here. 25 past. Why? Because we've seen something. Honestly, we have seen something. And you're going to see something later on that will humble you on a video. Let's be on the front foot. Let's not follow at a distance. Let's stay close to Jesus and one another. Just turn up. It reminds me of the story of Samson and Delilah. Do you, do you know the Tom, I always think of Tom Jones in, the, in the, the, the voice, the judges. My, 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 Delilah. Do, 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 do. Right? Now, the judges that I'm talking about now is the book of judges. Thank you, Lecky. Somebody's awake. In the book of judges, it talks about one of God's um, great called Samson, and he, he had an anointing um, to smite the Philistines, and he was invincible. But the anointing was because he'd taken a Nazarite vow, and uh, he didn't use hair restorer. He just his hair just grew really long. But the secret was was in the obedience, and uh, he kept going with different women, and uh, then this Delilah <laughs> came along. And he said, oh, well, it won't make any difference. Ross, one more time. Have sex one more time with this woman. Because it won't affect the anointing. And it affected the anointing. He followed at a distance. And while he slept, his hair was cut off. And you know the story. There's a cost to following Jesus. There really is a cost. Some of you know this early on a Sunday morning. It's a cost.
Don't deny Jesus. Don't end up warming yourself by the campfires of the night where they're surrounded by cynicism at work or university or college, unbelief towards Jesus. Do you go to church? Surely you don't go to church. Why, why, why do you have to wait before you have sex, before you get married? You're not one of those lot, are you? That went out with the ark. Well, it just so happens I follow Jesus. It just so happens I follow him. And it, that's what he says. You wait till you're married. Oh, so you really are a follower of Jesus. Yes, I am. But it's so easy, isn't it, to follow at a distance. And when you follow at a distance, you get vulnerable. The glow of the fire looks so inviting, the warmth of the flame so welcoming to such loneliness, the companionship and intimacy around the fire so enticing. One thing, oh, this, he, he, when Jesus lovingly confronted him, he said he went out and wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. One thing that Simon Peter's bitter weeping revealed was underneath the failure, there was a subterranean bedrock of God still at work in his life. There's a reservoir in his soul that was still God's, even though it failed. And this is where the grace comes in of God. He said, I pray for you. Your faith would not fail. It was a faith issue. Luke twenty two thirty one. Simon, Simon. Now he's not calling him Peter. This is the weak part. This is with his old name, Simon. Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan has demanded to have you. That you is a plural. I never knew that until I did some study on this this week. It's about all of us. We're all vulnerable. Satan has demanded. Let me have him that he may sift you like wheat. But Simon, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. It was a faith issue round that fire. When you're doing things you shouldn't do, it's a faith issue, isn't it? Wonderful, but I've prayed for you, Simon. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that he ever lives to make intercession for us. It's a staggering verse. There was an unseen battle about to rage over Simon Peter's life and indeed all the disciples' lives because they were appointed for a destiny. Have you got that? They were appointed for destiny. There's a, maybe a destiny on your heart. You don't even know what God's going to do with you. You may be somewhere else totally different, the other side of the world in five years. Or God may bring you into a, a place in your company where the revival breaks out. It can happen. It can happen. There's a battle over the church of God in our nations at this time, not just the UK. Things are hotting up nicely. I've been praying for you. Has it ever occurred to you that you may have a destiny in God's purposes that Satan is trying to thwart? You may have a destiny that Satan is trying to thwart. 
Well, I just see myself as Simon. Um, upon this rock, I will build my church. On that dark, cold night, Simon Peter lost a battle. But Jesus was praying for him with a confidence so that he would win the war. John Piper helpfully commentates on this verse. He said this, Jesus is completely confident that his father will answer his prayer because he says, when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knows that Simon will deny him three times. He says so in verse 34, but evidently Jesus does not consider this brief denial to be the utter failure that Satan is after. It is a temporary weakness, a brief faltering of confidence, but it is followed quickly by bitter tears of repentance and turning. Jesus knew he would turn from his sin because he had prayed for him. This is beautiful stuff. That his faith may not fail utterly. The Father granted, this is a mystery now, hang on, the Father granted Satan the power to sift Simon. But in response to Jesus' prayer, he did not let Simon fall through the sieve. Nor will he ever let any of his children fall through Satan's sieve. Now, before we can move back to our focus for today on the beach of Galilee, after the resurrection, there is one further verse I want to draw your attention to. And it's in Mark <coughs> chapter um, 16, a few verses actually. This is one of the shortest Gospels. It's a real cracker. It's all action. This was penned by Mark, but they reckon this was Peter's re- recollection of the, the accounts of his life when he was in Rome um, near the end of his life, he got a young man called Mark to to write it out, his memoirs. Mark chapter 16. I love this bit. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right-hand side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus of Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Yes. Now this is it. But go and tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Not Simon. Call him my Peter the Rock. Peter you're still included. Even though you have failed, your destiny is on track. That's grace, isn't it? And Peter. Why did, they need to, why did he need to say that? It's because Peter needed to hear it, and so did the other disciples. 
when Peter would write himself out the script because of his failure, the father was ensuring that Peter knew he was still written in the script. Beautiful. Isaiah 49 said this, See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. How can God forget you? How can he? Romans 11, verse 29, a great translation I found on this verse. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Wow. God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. In this church, Keith Hazel prophesied we'd have ministries come and be, whose ministries have been wrecked, but God would restore ministries through the grace of God at work in this church. People found their destiny again. So let's get, a, get to the good part to see how the risen Jesus draws Peter back into fellowship with him. Verse 21 of John's Gospel. Um, sorry, chapter 21, I think it must be. Let me just double check. <coughs> Sounds even worse when I've got a microphone on. Try it again. <coughs> Pity on me. Right. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, Jesus appeared to his disciples. I'm not sure it is. Anyway, it's in one of the Gospels. <laughs> By the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, sons of Zebedee, two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out to fish and got in a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Typical fishermen. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they replied. He said, throw your net out on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because it was a large number of fish. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. So they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. Oh, I remember fires, Peter thought most probably, but with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus has appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, this is a question I've always thought, I've asked, I'm now asking, who are these? Was Jesus getting to the root of pride in Simon, that he thought that he was, 
He loved, he was the most, the bestest disciple. He loved Jesus more than the others. He was more called than the rest. Do you love me more than these? It may be that. It may be that he was talking about all the fish because this was his livelihood. Because they'd just gone and got the fish out. And there's a danger in the callings of God that you can go back, that your work, your business takes on a, a role in your life out of sense of failure. Do you love me more than these? I don't know which one it is. It can be many things. It sounds daft, but racing, cycling for me, Stuart will understand the, the, you know, how enjoyable it is. When I had a failure, I went, I went back on my bike. I just thought, well, I'll, I'll just be a good racing cyclist. But thank God, God had got me deep down. And nothing could be more important than Jesus. But we have to watch that one, that we can end up going back and something cuts in and we love that more than him. Do you love me more than these? What's your these? What's, what's got to be dealt with? That Jesus wanted, to, he needed to know for Peter's sake, Peter, have I got everything? And in the end, he asked him three times and he just said, Lord, you know everything. <laughs> he just, he was a man broken. He was a broken man. And he said, you know. And he said, yeah. Yeah. It's about love. It's about love for him, ultimately. Three denials, three confessions. Then Jesus, he says something which is quite unnerving at the end. He said, um, very, verily, uh, or truly, truly, I, I say to you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He's not talking about old age <laughs> people's homes for incontinent apostles. That's not what this is about. Jesus, it said, it was to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. It's great, Peter. You follow me and you're going to have a very painful death. Now follow me but your death will glorify me. We've, we're still very grateful to God for ha having the privilege of Cynthia having been with us in her fight against cancer. She, she wasn't an ill person. She was a person with an illness. She glorified God, how she died. But for Peter... 
he was, Jesus warned him, he said, you're going to go where you don't want to go. And others are going to stretch out your arms, Peter. And you're going to know in that moment that your death will glorify me. Because if you're going to follow me, it's about you glorifying me. That's why it's not hard to get here at 9.30. Three remarkable things that Jesus... Um, that, that, um, three remarkable things that Jesus never <coughs> said to Simon Peter. Number one, he made a separate fire for him with fish on it. Right? Didn't do that. You're reinstated. He didn't give him stale bread. You can learn to eat humble pie, Simon. Eat that over there while we have fresh bread. Because you've sinned. You've failed. He didn't, thirdly, he didn't withhold supernatural provision for him. Wow, that's grace. Miraculous. Net of fish. You see, supernatural provision isn't rooted in our self-righteousness. It's about the outrageous grace of God. Well, God, I, I can't believe that you could bless me. It's blessing and provision is rooted in his grace, not your obedience in that sense. You got it? It's not out of you trying to be harder. It's, it's God just being lavish. Do you see it here? Peter, bang, 153 fish. You can have them. <coughs> Three remarkable questions Jesus never asked Simon Peter. Number one, why did you deny me after all I've done for you? Number two, this fire, does it remind you of anything, Peter? Didn't ask him that. This has got fish on it. And thirdly, you were so sure you wouldn't deny me. What happened? Didn't happen. You see, because that's law. Grace is just saying, Peter, here's some food. Here's my love and grace. You're on track. I prayed for you. That your faith would not fail. And I'm good at praying. Because look, you're still here. It's the Lord! And he jumps out. I would have loved to have seen Peter's face when he saw Simon Peter jumping and swimming for the shore. Because Jesus knows how to pray well. He's a good prayer, is Jesus. And he's praying for you that your faith would not fail. No matter how many years you've been away from God, your if he's praying for you, if you really belong to him, you, can't, you, can, you, can, you can run, but you can't hide. He'll get you because it's important he gets you because destinies can still be on your life, even though you've blown away years of running in the other direction. If God wants to use a man, he has to bruise a man. Many will have heard <clears throat> the story of those Egyptian Coptic Christians on February the 15th. The workers, they're working in Libya, I think it was, wasn't it? And uh, 
they got captured by ISIS and they put on the orange jumpsuits. Guys, the families, young families, and they got led by the, the sea and they were forced to kneel down and they were beheaded. What I didn't know until this last week, I've not watched it, I don't want to watch it, but I, 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 I've read about this, what, what they did. Before they were martyred, each of the 21 Coptic believers were, were challenged to deny their faith in Christ. As they knelt on that shoreline with a knife to their neck, and each and every one of them said, Jesus is Lord. by which manner of death they would glorify God. And, and, and please hear me. Please, please hear me. This, we're part of a battle, part of a war, a cosmic war, that Satan is out to quench the drive of the church of God in the nations. And you can't separate where we are or where we meet from this body of Christ globally. We've got to understand we're a part of the big picture church. You may never know, you may never meet these before you get to glory, some of these Coptic Christians. But they're a part of the body of Christ, those who love Jesus. And we've got to really wait, grow up. Because we've, we've, we've become so... Uh, personalised our faith to such a point where if, he, if, it's, if it's not blessing me, why follow God? Jesus might ask from you a bit of commitment. He might ask me a bit of commitment because a servant's not above his master. And I think we have got to, in these days and hours, understand the core what's happening upon the church globally I'm so pleased that some of the brothers and sisters in the church come and said, I'd like to pray for the persecuted churches. Well, bless you, do it. Absolutely. Then, Andrea. Thank you, Andrea. You sent through a video clip of um, some Coptic Christians from Cairo <coughs> worshipping. Um, this particular group of Coptic Christians you're going to see they live um, in the really rubbishy part of Cairo where actually they make their living by collecting all the city's refuge and, and they recycle 90% of it. It's, out, it's outstanding, 90%. They make it their business. The Muslims let them get on with it. Um, they, all the food, they, they've got thriving pig pig businesses because of the feeding the offal to the pigs the food to the pigs to get to the church building I'm going to show you, you have to go past rubbish tips along narrow footpaths and uh, there are many what they call cave churches 
in this part of Cairo, on the edge. What you're going to see now is what's called the cave church. There's 20,000 people can gather there. You're going to see them worshipping God. Think of the 21. Now, what you're going to see is a, a worship service that happened, I think, in 2011. I do hope you can see the words that have come up on the bottom of the screen. You can understand why God's about a great work in the Middle East. God is appearing to Muslims. And not all Muslims are ISIS. You know that. Please, please, please. Some absolutely lovely Muslim people. But I had a story that one ISIS um, fighter uh, a few months ago in Syria, he'd been beheading people and he got wounded. And they thought he was dead. And he was taken in by some Roman Catholic um, charity workers. And they nursed him back to life. And he said, I want to convert to Christianity. And his story was this. He was teetering on the edge of eternity as he lay there. And he had an encounter with God while he was on his way to hell. And this man... Um, God said, I am not pleased with you, what you are doing. And he was, this is, uh, uh, we've got to be grown up now. He said, his testimony was this, God allowed me the terror of what it was like to be inside that person's body who was being beheaded. And the guy repented of his sins, and this guy, Isis guy, has become a Christian. Now, you're going to see this now. 20,000 Coptic believers worshipping Jesus. Want to see it? In a cave? Yeah. Right? But be aware what they're, what they're declaring and what's happened recently. I want you to make the connection. But these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. The words they're singing was that they, if I've got this correct, um, we're calling forth the martyrs to follow the Lamb. Satan has been clothed with sorrow. I think I'm, I'm nearly getting it right. Um, Satan will be clothed with ashes. But God's people are coming forth. Isn't this glorious? Church, let's keep a sense of perspective. We're going to be breaking bread now. I want you to switch your focus from these now to the one who gave it all for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you that you've given him to us. Lord, we pray in these days, Lord, that your spirit be so upon us, so upon us, that these brothers and sisters will not be ashamed to call us fellow soldiers in Christ.